0: Welcome to the Earth Keepers Podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the Earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind, people who believe that Earth care should be integrated into every aspect of life, and for many in the Earth Keepers community, that includes our spiritual lives. I'm Forrest Inslee, and in this retrospective and somewhat informal episode, my sometimes co-host James and I do some looking back to look ahead. We consider some of the themes we heard and lessons we learned from the last six months of episodes, and talk about where the podcast will be going in the new year. Welcome, friends, to the Earth Keepers Podcast. James, it's good to have you on the podcast again. Happy New Year. Have you got any resolutions this year?
1: I don't normally do resolutions. I'm actually thinking of all the things that I've been learning through the podcast and the need to choose maybe one or two of those things to consciously implement in my life. So, I mean, good work on your end in inspiring a desire to change. Do you do resolutions?
0: I don't, but for the sake of, of the world, of the earth, we need to resolve something, like Vidya. Vidya and, and Sashi made me feel so guilty when they talked about switching their practices of showering. Now they use a mug and a bucket.
1: Oh, that's so good. It is good. I admire them
0: very much. But the (laughs) one thing that that has led to for me is I'm not quite where they are, but you know how when you turn on the water and you wait for it to get hot, like when you're doing dishes or or that sort of thing, there's all that water that comes out and it's a big waste. So I now keep these like food grade buckets next to the sink and the shower. And then while that water is warming up, I save the water that's coming out. That's awesome. It is awesome. But the only problem is I'm not always sure what to do with that water. (laughs) (laughs) What what have you been doing? Well, I have a lot of plants in the house, so I've been watering them, but I'm kind of like stockpiling this water without really a a clue. It makes me wonder about storage tanks, you know? I mean, especially Mm -hmm. where, where we live, there's so much rain in the winter, it makes me wonder why why don't we store up some of that water to use then in the summer yeah. when we really need it?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about getting rain barrels,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for sure. Had a friend who did that, and then, you know, what people don't know about the Pacific Northwest is the summer's pretty dry. Right. And it's not hard to use that water during those few months of the dry season.
0: Yeah. I do have another resolution, it has nothing really to do with the new year, but I grow a lot of food, a lot of vegetables Mm -hmm. all summer long. And I have this chest freezer, which is really energy efficient. It's like $35 to run it for the whole year. But the freezer is full of vegetables. Mm -hmm. The only problem is I don't like vegetables. So my resolution is to try to figure out what on earth I'm going to do to eat those vegetables. When my daughter is home from college, she helps me. She likes vegetables, but man- I don't think I'm very creative when it comes to cooking with vegetables.
1: I wonder if you could find someone who's producing something you like and do a trade. Like what? I don't know. What do you
0: like to eat? Pizza. (laughs) 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 So somehow I don't think that's going to (laughs) work. Maybe maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So what do you feel guilty about that you should change?
1: (laughs) Oh, you know, it, it might make... Some of our listeners feel good that, that you and I struggle with these day to day decisions (laughs) all the time. And, uh, there, there's a lot I feel guilty about. And I think it's okay in a way to feel those pangs of consciousness raising moments of guilt. But when it becomes paralyzing and keeps us from moving forward, we have to figure out a way to break out of that. And if it's a, if it's a momentary motivator to do something different, then I think we need to welcome it. For me, I have to take that feeling of overwhelming guilt and responsibility, and just say, "Okay, what's one thing mm-hmm. I can adopt right now? One thing I can do, and pursue that, and put the try to put the big picture out of my mind for a little bit." Yeah, and then what? I, what I discover this is probably true for you too, Forrest, is that once that becomes a habit it releases space to add maybe the next thing Mm -hmm. and it becomes a lot easier. And after time you realize, wow, I've done five or six or seven new things that are now just part of our life that totaled up have actually kind of reduced our waste or reduced our footprint on the earth and helped move us as a family a little bit forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, James, one of the really helpful things for me when we do these episodes every six months or so is it helps me to step back. And get a bigger picture, a sort of bird's eye view if you will, and I know that you, as executive producer, are thinking about that all the time, like what is mm-hmm. the trajectory? you know how are we moving over the course of the year? So I want to ask you to do some reflecting on how, say the last six months or so has gone for the podcast, and I'm wondering what are the things you're seeing that have emerged in terms of overarching meanings and themes and that sort of thing
1: yeah, I think that. One of the things that I notice about the people that we talk to are they are inherently hopeful, and I think that's really, really good because there are legitimate reasons to be alarmed or dispirited about the state of things. And as we start this new year, we're coming on the heels of one of the worst years for our planet in terms of natural disaster, climate refugees heat waves, tornadoes in our own country in the month of December. Pretty rare. All of these disruptive things that scientists are saying go beyond their even worse predictions for how fast our planetary systems will be changing, the impact it will have on our human communities and our non-human friends, all of that. And to have it come in a year where The leaders of the world gathered in Scotland for the COP conference on global climate change and to have it be fairly mediocre in terms of what the nations of the world are pledging to can be really dispiriting. And I don't know if you feel the same way I do, Forrest, that coming into 2022, I'm feeling equally dispirited and hopeful, energized and kind of down a little bit. How are you feeling? Yeah, you know, I had
0: cause to think about this very thing, this this balance between hope and despair in this mm-hmm. case, but I was talking with Mary DeYoung of Waymarkers, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how it's important to to value both the darkness and the light, that one gives you an appreciation or a sensitivity to the other. And so we, we need to live in a way that holds both of those in tension, doesn't... Yeah. shun the darkness, but really em- embraces the darkness. And I think that for me, that's just been a really interesting dynamic to think about when it comes to to hope and despair. I mean, we have to face the realities. We have to understand where we're going in terms of the damage, in terms of the future of, of the global systems that we live in. But I think also we dare not give up hope. Even yes. if it's small things, as you put it, you know, the day-to-day activities or things we can change in our lifestyle, if we can do that, in some ways they're acts of resistance, right? They're not just one small thing, to use Catherine Hayhoe's words, to push the boulder up the hill. But it's more than just whether or not that's going to change the world. I mean, we, we act in resistance to to climate change simply because we need to resist, we need to hold out hope, we need to have things that express our defiance of despair, that we don't believe that this is the end, (laughs) you know, that the world's going to change no matter what, and there's nothing we can do.
1: Yeah, and I think that there are plenty of reasons to be hopeful. And I think our guests over season two highlighted so many of them, and one of them, Mary DeYoung, helped us see the importance of kind of having a different consciousness, a different connection to creation and the world around us. And I think more and more people are kind of waking up to that, knowing that they are connected to nature, they're part of nature, and wanting to explore that deeper and deeper. And I really appreciate people like Mary, people like Catherine, who are saying, hey, despite the news, there is progress being made on the climate front. A lot of it is not front and center in the news. Because that doesn't sell as many advertisements in our news media, but it's happening. It's happening with small initiatives. It's happening in conversations around the kitchen table. And it's happening behind the scenes, I believe, in our political systems.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, I too have taken some hope from our guests in this last season. And maybe I've been most impacted by the people who actually help us to understand what are the steps that we can take, the steps of resistance. And Mm -hmm. I think of Randy Woodley, for example, and his book, Becoming Rooted. To read that book is an action step. It's an invitation that he's putting out to change our mindset, to change our relationship to the earth, to one that's more intimate and more respectful. And so I appreciate people like Randy who are saying, here are things you can actually do, right? Mm -hmm. Read this book. Let it impact your your day-to-day thinking. Let it shape your worldview in new ways. So I've appreciated the people who have this more pragmatic orientation.
1: Yeah, and we talk a lot in Earthkeepers on podcast episodes, and then in Circlewood, Earth Keepers parent ministry, we talk a lot about the need to develop a new consciousness or worldview and a new way of life. And I think for a lot of our listeners, and for me as well, it's helpful to take those separately in a way, because that's how kind of Western culture and the Western mindset likes to do. But I also think that people like Randy, who are teaching us so many things about how to make a transition from a different kind of worldview perspective, show us that those two things are intimately entwined. Sometimes we can think our way into different ways of action. Sometimes we act our ways into different ways of thinking, but ultimately, they're part of the same process of transformation that we need. And I know I've learned a lot from Randy and others who are showing us that there are cultures who haven't separated those things out and have lived in a way that's in more of a harmonious relationship with the earth for a long, long time.
0: So again, looking back at the the arc of the podcast, what other things have you noticed from the past six months or so?
1: Well, just picking up perhaps on the impact that our conversations with Randy Woodley have had, I've noticed that you and I are gravitating towards people who can teach us. People like Randy, people like Jay Matenga, people like Ray Simpson, who is steeped in Celtic theology and uh, ways of faith. The folks at Casa Adobe, people from a non-Western perspective who are challenging perhaps ways that the dominant culture has been thinking and doing, I have found myself challenged and stretched by these guests and feel like I kind of sit at their feet and can feel myself changing as I listen to them and think about my own life. How about you, Forrest?
0: Yeah, I think that I've been challenged to think beyond maybe just earthkeeping, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I've i become a little more alarmed in a good way, especially by those people who are willing to speak about environmental injustices, for example. I mean, it's not yeah. something that we always link to climate change, and yet we absolutely must link it to climate change. That mm-hmm. there are people, people groups, certain demographics that, that are more impacted by the changes that are happening in the world than others. And to ignore that really is injustice. And mm-hmm. I think, for example, of Alex Bailey, who was talking about his work with Black Outside, talking about the disparity in terms of, of the students that he teaches, the disparity in terms of their access to wild places and to the outdoors, and how he's working to rectify that in some way, at least with the people in his community. So I've really appreciated the people who have made connections to social justice with issues of, of climate change.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important part of developing what we like to sometimes call ecological consciousness, Hmm. a way of looking at the world and experiencing the world with an understanding that everything is interconnected and interdependent. So you can't take these issues or these people or these communities or your own life out of context, out of the context of the social and ecological systems in which they're embedded And I really appreciate the folks who not only see that, but then they try to address it and help us see those connections and recognize that if we don't work on strengthening those connections and seeing them and trying to ameliorate them or make those connections stronger, we won't really address the fundamental problem we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And I do think more people are waking up to that and seeing, hey, if you want to address issues of poverty, you have to address issues of the natural environment. And if you want to make headway in, let's say, environmental conservation, you have to address the human communities that are going to be involved in the decisions that go into that. That way of thinking I I think is becoming increasingly recognized as the way to move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think too the whole move toward recognizing the non-human world as part of the community that's impacted by injustice, it really yes. changes the motivations that help us to, to imagine new ways forward. And I think of Casa Adobe and Erica and Johan, he and Erica both talked about making access to the river that was near their town. And this, the thought that the river itself was deserving of, mm-hmm. of respect, they were really speaking of the river as, as a key element of their community, a member of the community, the river mm-hmm. almost as a person and i think that sort of respect definitely changes our motivations about why why we do justice right it's not mm-hmm. just about the human community but it's mm-hmm. to right injustices as they apply to the whole of of creation
1: yeah this reminds me of randy woodley's wonderful phrase the community of creation that of course we are a part of it also reminds me of things that some of our guests say and things i'm I'm hearing more and more of in other podcasts or books I'm reading and that is the that is the language of kinship seeing our relationships extending beyond just our immediate family or our human community but seeing forests and and rivers and our backyards and all the creatures that might inhabit there as part of a kinship system and for those of us who go through life with a a commitment to particular faith or spiritual practices, I think that change toward a sense of kinship is really gathering steam. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think connected to that is, again, to go back to what Randy said, was this idea that, you know, that perspective of kinship is really one that's rooted in indigenous thinking. Mm -hmm. And his challenge to me to understand not only you know how indigenous thinking can be translated into my own experience, but his challenge to actually explore my own indigeneity and my own roots, mm-hmm. in my case in Celtic lands, and to understand how that legacy, really, of indigenous thinking could be recovered and applied to my life even now when I'm not living in, in Celtic places.
1: Yeah, I agree. And the Celtic tradition is certainly part of my own ancestral history. And just to make a connection to our initial conversation about resolutions, that has been something that I am planning on exploring in more depth this year. It'd be fun to report back the next time we do this in a couple of months, what you and I have discovered about that and what it's meant for our own our own journey.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe by that time, we both might have traveled. To those places. Might be. We'll have to see what COVID allows. We'll have to see. Well, any, any other sort of sweeping themes that you've noticed or want to talk about? Yeah, I just
1: want to honor the folks who not only are making changes in their thinking or in their daily life, but have taken risks in their work and are stepping out and doing creative work. I'm thinking particularly of your interview with the founder of Ridwell which is a company started a few years ago to address gaps in the recycling system in the US. And when you interviewed him, it was based in Seattle and making quick headway. And almost as soon as that episode came out, they had started servicing the city of Portland. And I think they've really hit on a need there. And I just want to honor folks like that who've put their lives, their savings on the line to try to do something creative and do what they can to really address some of these issues.
0: Yeah. And perhaps the message I'll take from that is just this this reminder that all of us can do something. Mm-hmm. There's, there's actions that we all can take to to make a difference, either in a very local level and just in our mm-hmm. own household. You know, Courtney Christensen talked about that, Like, what are the changes we can make in the way we go about our everyday lives? that actually Mm -hmm. can make a difference. But there's that level of involvement. But there are systemic things we can do as well, that we can impact our local government. There are ways that we can become advocates for certain causes, certain changes that are more earth-friendly.
1: Yeah, and I would say, Forrest, that people are often asking not only what can they do, but will it really make a difference? Because sometimes individual actions don't seem to add up to very much. I know I can feel that way in my own life. But in addition to recognizing that individual actions, when multiplied by thousands and thousands of times, make a huge difference, I also think change, the kind of change that we're after, doesn't happen in a steady pace or in a linear fashion. Sometimes it's like water building up behind a dam. You can't really see much difference on the other side, but the pressure's building and building and building, and then all of a sudden it changes and the dam comes down, and the river is free, and it's a new world. I'm thinking in particular about the changes we've seen in the past year from the auto industry, from being really resistant to changes, to recognizing that this is where the culture was heading, and they needed to respond. So there's a real forces out there that are making changes in a big sector of our of our life.
0: Yeah, and I'm still looking forward to – uh an affordable electric pickup. I'm dreaming you know, of may, that.
1: that. That might be a theme of our of our uh, conversations every couple of months. How's it going on the electric truck?
0: We'll front? title it Forest Buys a Car. Forest <laughs> Buys a Truck. That's right. Well, at the moment, the few that are out there are way too expensive, but I can hold out hope.
1: So it's been fun to look back at some of our guests and themes from season two, Forest. And I know you've been thinking hard about season three. What kind of themes might we imagine hearing?
0: I'm looking forward to expanding into courses that people can take, and these courses are really meant for people who maybe want to go beyond the themes that come up in the podcast and to go deeper into learning about them, and in particular, learning about them in community with others, because we hope that these courses not only will deliver a a, a greater depth of information, but also will help people to have an opportunity to learn together, to learn in community. So that's one of the changes. Mm -hmm. Are you going to take those courses, James? I'm all in. All right. (laughs) So everyone has to stay tuned for that. We are making progress toward that soon. I mentioned the theme of environmental justice before, and I am just finding the need to get more guests on the podcast who can talk about awareness of those issues and not just awareness, but about the changes that we can make to become advocates for environmental justice. And Alex Bailey, as I noted, was really an influence for me. Mm -hmm. He was just so gracious and inviting. He was talking about a profound injustice about equity and yet doing it in a way that wasn't shaming, wasn't something that made listeners feel guilty, but rather talked about it as as his way, his acts of resistance against injustice. And, and that became an invitation for everyone else to look at their own context and ask that question. What qualifies as environmental injustice here? And what are the steps I can take to rectify that?
1: Yeah, I think that's so important because picking up on our twin themes of needing to change our consciousness ways of thinking as well as our lifestyle, our ways of acting, I think we need to recognize that it's not just simply moving to a better way, but that what we've been doing for centuries has been privileging some people more than others, Mm -hmm. and that there is real suffering and oppression that continues and needs to be addressed as part of the transitions that we're talking about. So I'm excited about that. I'm sure it will be stretching and challenging for me as well as some of our listeners, but I think it's the way to go and appreciate you moving us in that direction.
0: Another change that I have in mind has to do again with something that's already been happening. We've been forming closer partnerships with other Mm -hmm. organizations and I would love to continue to build on that. I mean, for example, we, we have a partnership with Randy Woodley's Elohe Center, and we are in partnership in a way with, with Mary DeYoung's Waymarkers. But, you know, there's other organizations that we as an organization resonate with so well. I would love mm-hmm. to see closer association. And oftentimes that happens through forming relationships in the podcast interviews. So I'm thinking about Eco Theo Collective, for example, which will air actually next uh, session. And then OSABO is another organization that I think we'll be working with not only on Circlewood's land on Camino Island, but just in general in the offering of courses. They're going to be very instrumental in helping us with that. And even Courtney Christensen's organization, Sparks and Matches. I'd love to see us figure out ways that we can support one another's work. And I know that she will be helping us To kind of co create a course on everyday earthkeeping that we'll offer through both of the organizations, but we'll pool our our wisdom and capacities together to create that.
1: Yeah. And I'd just like to say to our listeners if there is an organization or a person that you would like us to connect to, we are open to suggestions. You can reach out if you go to the circlewood.online website, you can find our contact information. If you find the Earthkeepers podcast site, there's a place to leave an audio message for us. We love to hear from you. Part of our mission is to get connected to people who are doing creative earthkeeping work and to share that work with others. So if you want to help us in that way, we'd love to hear from you.
0: If you appreciate this podcast and want to help us expand its global reach, Please share this episode with a friend. You can also show your support by subscribing. Just go to whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and hit the subscribe or follow button for the Earth Keepers podcast. Finally, if you have comments or questions or even suggestions for future guests, email us at earthkeepers at circlewood.online or leave a voicemail on the Earth Keepers website. I'm Forrest Inslee, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amidon. Our producer is Dave Wolfers. Forrest Reed is our editor and the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman. And Jessalyn Meggerly is our social media director. Thank you, friends, for listening. And please join us for our next conversation on the Earth Keepers podcast.